0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church. Let's begin by praying together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you, Father, for his death, for our sins and his resurrection, for our justification. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who indwells our hearts. We thank you, Father, for the truth in your word, particularly the gospel. We thank you for all the gifts you've given us as a congregation and as individuals. I want to bring into remembrance this morning, Father, the Steve and Marilyn Pomeroy on this third anniversary of their coming home to be with you. We pray for the family. We also pray for this church. It was a big loss for all of us. We also ask this morning that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct each and every one of us as we continue to hear from your word, as we continue to have the Holy Spirit... Make it dwell deeply in our hearts so that we are able to continue to live the life that you've called us to as your children. And we also pray this morning for Israel, and we ask for her protection. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. At this time, if you could please stand and we'll sing our congregation song. In fact, I'd recommend it. Okay, as I mentioned in the prayer this morning, please keep Israel in your prayers, particularly Jen's family and the family of Lori's friend. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of the month, so we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper together at that time. Also, a reminder about the schedule: note, Thursday, November 9th, we will not be having Bible study. We will, of course, have our regular Bible study this Thursday. But is it next Thursday? Yeah, next Thursday is the 9th. Not this Thursday, but next Thursday. Yeah. Also in the Did You Know category, um, we um, welcome your prayer requests, and it's real simple. You can submit them right on the front page of our website. That's that red arrow pointing to prayer request. We, 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 we check that out every week before we come on Thursdays, uh, So, and we will pray for whatever it is that you ask us to pray for. Well, almost, unless it's, unless it's unbiblical. But um, it's never, you guys are never like that. So please give us your prayers. Um, when we gather together on Thursdays and otherwise, we do pray for the things you ask us to pray for. wanted to just give you a heads-up note, and that is that Grace Bible Church Pakistan is having its Christmas care package fundraiser again this year. More, we'll give you more details when, when, when we're ready to, but I um, wanted to let you know about that as well. Okay, this morning's message now. Let's uh, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 12. Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 12. That's okay. Well, it's not perfect, but it's okay. All right, let's begin. John, chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This I command you, that you love one another. Verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world. But I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, They would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause." John 15, 12 to 25. There's a, there's a, I'm going to give you kind of a, high, a simple, simple view of what, what's going on here. I'm going to put it on the slide, and then I'm going to go back, and I'm going to point it out to you. Basically, this morning, you can think of a, a bright red line between verse 17 and verse 18. Now, why do I say that? Well, In verses 12 to 17, and you can't miss it, actually. We have the love of Christ. That's where we've been. We've looked at how Jesus Christ has said that the Father loves us, that he loves us, and that we are to love one another. And the way that we love him, Jesus, is to keep his commandments. And then he boiled that all down to one, which is love one another as I have loved you. So that's verses 12 to 17. What about the rest of this passage? Well, very simply, in verses 18 to 25, we have hate. We have the hatred of the world. We have the love of Christ in verses 12 to 17. We have the hatred of the world in verses 18 to 25. Okay, so let's go back and and we'll look at this again at a very high level. But I just want to point out to you what, how dramatic this change is between really you know, between verse 17 and verse 18, that bright red line. Let's begin again in verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Love. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Jesus calls us his friends and he laid down his life for us. And that's love. Verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. By the way, I want you to notice just in passing here, the subject of friendship. And what's what he's saying here is that basically he's saying, I've done everything. That for what it means to be a friend. Jesus is saying, I've done everything that you could possibly ask of a friend. Okay, He's told them everything that he's heard from his father, God. And not only that, but he's about to die for them. And, but then in verse 14, and it's first, but you know how John is, sometimes he gives something last that you have to understand to go back to what's first. So basically he's saying, as far as I'm concerned, I'm calling you friends. And I'm, and I'm considering you and living accordingly. I've done everything that it means to be a friend for you. Then in verse 14, he says, now, how about you? You're my friends if you do what I command you. You see it? I'm your friend. Now you're my friends if you do what I command you. He already calls us friends. And what he's basically saying is, live like the fact that you are my friend. And what is it? To do what he commands. And then we saw it, we see in verse twelve as well as verse seventeen how he boils all that down into one. My commandment is that you love one another just as I have loved you. In a sense it is to complete the circle of love within Christ, within the body of Christ, later on with across the disciples here. So then so I hope you can see that we see love in most of the passages. Okay. And then in verse seventeen again. This I command you that you love one another. I could have stopped there and have a great message this morning about love. But we've already had that. So, this, But this morning, unfortunately, but also fortunately, we're going to continue in verse 18. And notice the night and day difference between this I command you and verse 17, that you love one another, and verse 18, if the world hates you. Love, hate. It's, you can't mistake it. By the way, when he says, if the world hates you, I mean, It means here that, he, that it will hate you. Okay? It's, it's sometimes if in the English doesn't really do justice to the Greek. Here it's saying if the world hates you and it will, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. There's hate. Three times in verse 18. Verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Isn't that true? Doesn't the world love its own? You know, and so, um, and if all the ways that you can think of... Now, the world, remember, is basically the, the, the world of unbelievers right, in, in hostile, hostile to God, opposition to him. And so certainly, if God says you're supposed to be humble, the world is going to be arrogant, just for an example. If God says that you should not desire money, the world is going to desire money. If, if, if God says that there's one way of salvation the world's going to say there's many ways of salvation. That's the nature of the world. So he says again, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, see, we as Christians are not of the world. We are are no longer in that manner of life. We used to be, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, remember, we lived according to the, the course of this world, of the prince of darkness the prince of the power of the air, but no longer. You are not of the world, but I chose you. I chose you out of the world, and because of this, the world hates you. Now, look at verse 16 again. John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you. So, in other words, in verse 16, he talks about choosing us, And in the context of love and fruit, right? You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So in other words, the fruit, as we saw last week, we looked at fruit and we saw how it's love and joy. And it's also answered prayer. So in other words, everything in verses 12 to 17 is about... The way that God has designed the life of his children. And, it, and it's dominated by love. And we're here to bear fruit. And then he wraps it up. This, I command you that you love one another. However, now, in verse 19, we see another choosing. okay, And, it, and it's, it's, it's the sort of the, 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 the opposite, in a sense, of what he's already chosen us for. right To bear fruit. But he's also saying the other side of the fence is that I've chosen you out of the world. And you can't have one without the other, see? By the very act that we have been chosen to bear fruit, that means we have been chosen out of the world. And because of that, the world hates us. So in other words, by Jesus' choice, okay, we we are to bear fruit. By Jesus' choice, we are not of the world. OK, continuing now, remember, we're, he's talking about hatred now. The world will hate you. That's the title of today's message. Verse 20. That's a nice message, huh? Title. The world hates you. Yeah, but it's true. And we and we need to be reminded of that. It's really uh, a real danger as Christians is to forget that is to convince ourselves, well, you know, we can compromise with the world. We can have one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. And the answer is, no, you can't. No, you can't. You'll be split apart, right? And the world will take you. So there's no such thing as being on both sides of that fence. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. You know, they were the disciples and Jesus was their Lord, their teacher. And he's saying, you know, the teacher is greater than the student. And he says, as a result of that, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. It's the same for us in the church. Now, we are no longer disciples. We studied this because that was, for, that was when Christ was on earth, right? Now we are members of his body. But it's the same principle. If they hate the head, they're going to hate the body. It's the same, same thing, only it's not, it's not um, you know teacher and student anymore. It's head and body. But the principle is the same. It doesn't change. If they persecuted me, and they have, and by the way, as we go through this now, I want you to, ask, I want you to answer one question as we walk through this verse by verse from here forward. And that is this. Who is it That he's describing in these verses as we go forward. He's talked about the world in verses 18 and 19. But now he's going to talk about a particular group within the world. So I want you to just, and I'll help you with this, answer that one question. Now who's he talking about in verse 20? Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute me. You. Now, no one can argue that Jesus wasn't persecuted when he was here. But the question I want you to ask this morning is, who? Who persecuted Christ when he was here on earth? I'll give you a hint. It wasn't the entire world, was it? It wasn't the Gentile world. It wasn't wasn't the world of the everyday common Jewish person, was it? was one subset of that. One subset of that. Let's continue asking that one question. Verse 21. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. Now, in chapter 8, he talked about the fact that, that there's a certain group that denied the fact that the Father sent Christ. And it wasn't unbelievers in the Gentile world Okay? It wasn't all the people, even if they were unbelievers, it was a particular group. Which group? Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. Who demonstrated that they hated God such that Jesus said to them, your, your, your father is not God. Right, You are of your father, the devil. Now He didn't say that to everybody. He said it to a particular group. Verse 24, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen, they saw the works that he did, and, he, and they hated me, and my father as well, and they persecuted me, and they, want, they wanted to put me to death. Who is that group? Is it all the Jewish people? No. Is it all the Gentiles? No. It's a particular group. Verse 25. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Now, were all the Jewish people at that time under the law? Yes. Did they all hate Jesus? No. The the disciples were under the law. They loved Jesus. But there was a particular group that hated him without a cause, who is that group? We're going to come back to that. Who? Yes, religion. Good, you guys have been paying attention. Exactly. So again, in verses 12 to 17, we have the love of Christ. It's all about the love of Christ. In verses 18 to 25, we have the hatred of the world. And by the way, if you're a believer in Christ... This is your life. Your life is now in two domains, okay? One is, is in, the, in Christ, in the body of Christ, under the love of the Father, being graced out. The other is in the world, okay? You are loved over here. You are hated over there. And there's nothing you can do about it. Now, you may not experience this morning persecution in the same way that Jesus did, Okay, to that, that intensity is what I'm talking about. You may not be under the intensity of persecution of, of a church, let's say, in a Muslim country. And this is sort of the danger of it, because you are hated by the world. You are, in fact, persecuted by the world. And you may not even know it. See, that's more dangerous. Why? Because you're tempted. If you think that the lion in the cage is gentle, right, because he's behind the cage, you're like, oh, nice little kitty. And then you, then one day you meet him on the road and he ain't no nice little kitty anymore, right? He's going to devour you. That's our situation in the United States. We're not yet under the kind of physical persecution that so many of our brothers and sisters are in other places of the world. But mark it down. We are under persecution because Jesus has chosen us out of this world. And let me remind you again who it is we're dealing with, Right? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. So you may say, well, you know, the flesh and blood in the world, in this country, isn't trying to put us to death. Well, okay. But who's energizing those people? Right? Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And mark it down. Day and night, they're persecuting you. Who? The powers of the air right And I don't want to scare you because in a minute I'm going to tell you not to worry about that. But don't don't kid yourself that it doesn't exist. see And, and remember that it's a spiritual battle, isn't it? right? We, we're talk, they're talking about the facts that the fiery darts of the enemy, the evil one, that's why we have the shield of faith. So by believing who God is, by believing the truth, by understanding and believing, lies, in the sense of what not to listen to, okay, we we can put away, stop the fiery darts. What are the fiery darts? They're not literal. They're spiritual. They're thoughts. They're temptations. And we are as subject to that, again, if not more so, than Christians in other countries are. The world hates us. They just have a different way of getting to us in this country. So again, if you're a believer, you, your life is the love of Christ on the one hand, in the body, and the hatred of the world, on the other hand. How does this work? Really simple. In Christ, you will always be loved. Okay? You will, love is what it's all about. Okay? We are in, in his family. God is the father. We're adopted sons and daughters. He loves us. Jesus loves us so much that he died for us. And and, and if God gave us Christ while we were his enemies, how much more is he going to take care of us now that we're his children? And we, you know, the body of Christ, the way it's supposed to work and the way that it does work when, when we actually listen to what the word of God has to say and allow it to change our hearts and to understand that by the spirit we're putting to death the deeds of the body and understand that we more and more will see The difference, even in our own person, between the things of the flesh and the things of the spirit. And so we will we will be driven through the Word and through the Holy Spirit to love one another. And that's what it means to be in Christ ultimately, to be loved by one another, to be loved by Christ, to be loved by the Father. In Christ you will be loved. In the world you will be hated. This isn't a complex message this morning. It's a simple one. But I want you to take it seriously. I want you to listen. I want you, When we go to scriptures, I want you to pay attention so that you're not just saying, well, I guess John had a bad night last night. He woke up on the wrong side of bed and he's going to hammer us about the world. And I don't really think it's as bad as what he's saying right now. Well, hold your horses because we're going to go to the scriptures and see what they have to say. In Christ, you will be loved. In the world, you'll be hated. You know something? Right now, we have a really vivid, f- flesh and blood illustration of this, and it's in the Middle East right now. Let me show you a map. Okay, you see the bright red line? If you're Jewish, on the on the on the right side here of that red line, is Israel. If you are Jewish and you're in Israel, you'll be loved and cared for. I mean, just as an aside, I'm amazed at the extent to which the Jewish people are coming to the aid of their own. It's unbelievable the things you hear about. I heard that there was a a, a woman who was, I don't know if she's a widow or what, but she didn't have family. And as soon as they heard about it, 10,000 Jewish people came to their funeral Okay, so in Israel, you'll be loved and cared for. In Gaza, you'll be hated with a ferocious, cruel hatred. There's that red line. It's visible in the case of Gaza and Israel, but there's that same red line in our own lives as well. By the way, we're going to see in a little while, it's not just an illustration because... The, peop- the, the people are at least... The, how, how the people that hate the Jews are energized is the exact same thing that we just talked about. The same enemy we have, ultimately. And, and the way in which he... That he the enemy, and the prince of the darkness, the, the prince of the power of the air, the way in which he energizes is there's a particular tool that he uses. Right? And that tool is something that we have to deal with also. And so, just rely I'm setting things up. I hope you can come with me and not fall asleep or anything. So again, we are loved beyond measure by God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to remain there, right? Abide. Abide in my love. Remain there. Why? Because that's the place of safety and love and blessing and you will bear fruit. If you try to go and abide by the world, you'll be hated. See, it's kind of that simple. Remain in his love. Love one another as Christ has loved us. That's where there's safety. That's where there's love in the body of Christ. You know, I dare say that there's nobody in this world who will love you more than believers in Christ who are abiding in the love of Christ. There's nobody. Nobody. Family. Well, if you family if you're blessed in your family, I believe is in Christ, and they understand what this means to abide in love, to hear the word of God, put it into practice, to take seriously the fact that Christ has forgiven us. For example, we are to forgive one another. If you're fortunate enough to have people in your you know, natural family, well, then I'm happy for you. Not everybody does, to say the least. But when you're among members of the body of Christ who are living according to what Jesus said, abiding in his love, there's nowhere you're going to be loved better than among the, the brethren. But in the world, you will be hated and you'll be persecuted. Okay, so I've given you a lot of bad news as well as some good news, but I have more good news this morning. And that is this. There's no need to fear the hostility of the world. There's no need to fear it. You need to know it exists. You need to take precautions. You need to flee, but you don't need to be afraid. i want you to turn to John chapter 16, verse 33. John chapter 16, verse 33. This is where he will end things in his teaching, by the way, to the disciples. By the end of chapter 16, he's done teaching the disciples. Chapter 17 is all about him and the Father. He's in prayer with the Father in all of chapter 17. This is the last thing he says. John sixteen thirty three. These things, and that's everything he's taught him from chapter 13 through chapter 16. These things I have spoken to you Notice showing that in me, in who? In Christ, where there's a love, you may also have peace. You can rest, you can be understanding how fully reconciled you are to the Father, that his love for you is beyond imagining. In the world you will have tribulation. Now if you stop for a minute this morning and think about where, where are the where are the tribulations of your heart this morning? What are the things that you really worked up about, upset by? And and it's not going to be the love of God, right? If you think about it. Maybe it's something going on, you know, on the television sets, in the current events, maybe. You know, maybe it's physical illness. Maybe it's a child that's going in the wrong direction. But these are all manifestations of the world, okay? So he's saying that's where you have all your tribulation. In the world. But he says, take courage. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. In Christ, there's absolutely no reason to be afraid. Jesus has overcome it all and we're in him. We can go and live our lives in freedom and in love and in in service to one another, and there's no need for fear. When the world tries to attack there's still no need for fear. We have all the protection we need. Just remember that. This is not a teaching this morning that you should leave with any fear in your heart. Please turn now to 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Just remember that lion. He's in the cage. Okay? Just don't jump in there with him. Okay? First John 4 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. By the way, in context, them here are the false teachers. The false teachers. Who was it that persecuted Jesus? Religious leaders, right? The Pharisees, the scribes, the elders, the chief priests. Religious leaders persecuted Christ. False teachers, false prophets persecuted the church first in the first century. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Them, the false teachers. The ones, that, the, the religious people that persecuted Christ and then persecuted Paul. You have overcome them because greater is he, notice this, who is in you than he who is in the world. You can have victory no matter what you're facing. Why? Because greater is he who is in you. Now, who is in you this morning? We saw this last week. Jesus Christ, well, Christ, okay? the Deity of Christ, the Holy Spirit. That's all you need. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So let's go back now, because now we're going to spend a little time examining what Jesus meant in this passage when he said that the world will hate the disciples. So we're going to look at that word, the world, right now. The world. When he says the world, he is talking about here now, not always, but here he's talking about a particular group of people a particular group of people. There's a particular kind of person that he's teeing up and saying, here is what you really need to understand. You understand this, you understand the world. Now, in the word of God, in the Gospel of John, sometimes the world refers to the entire human race. For God so loved the world, right? Every human being. Sometimes that's what the word world means other times <laughs> other times the world refers not to the whole human race but to unbelievers all of them who are in opposition to god right that is it were that's the uh, mission field right of unbelievers okay all of them but here in this passage Jesus is not talking about that world either. By the way, when we apply this to our lives, we certainly can think about the world of unbelievers and the hostility that's there. Anybody who has preached the gospel understands that there's some people who are absolutely hostile to the person of Jesus Christ. And as a result, when you tell them about Christ, they're hostile to you. Okay, But there's a one group whose hostility is overt and complete. Okay, so here, though, in John 15, it doesn't mean all people, it doesn't mean all unbelievers, it means a subset of unbelievers, and may I say the worst kind of all. The worst kind of all. When Paul said he was the worst sinner who ever lived, did that mean that he was sexually promiscuous? Because he wasn't. When he said he was the worst sinner who ever lived, does that mean he lied and cheated and stole? Because he didn't. What did he mean by that? I'll tell you what he meant. He persecuted the church. That's what he meant by that. And why did he persecute the church? He's a Pharisee. His religion was the motivating factor for him persecuting the church. The high priest, what was their motivating factor? Their form of religion. I won't say Judaism because that was the farthest thing from them, right? That's what Jesus. Says, you don't even know my father. But they, what they have turned their religion into—the practices, the, 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 the taking advantage of people, leaders now, the the uh, the lies that they that they told them, putting them under the bondage. Not just the law, but their 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 particular flavor of the law, where they had all of these. Rules that weren't in, you know, they were, the tra- they were the traditions of men and they were holding to it as if they were the word of God. Religion. So let's go back now to John chapter 15. Uh, I think you're in First John. Let's go back now to our passage this morning. John chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 18 and 19. We're going to begin again in this second part. On the other side of the bright red line, the hatred of the world's John fifteen eighteen to 19. If the world hates you, and it will, if you're a believer chosen out of the world, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you're of the world, the world will love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. There was a time it's in, our, in the Gospel of John where Jesus actually said that the reason that they hated him was because he told them the truth, right? The truth is what will cause people to hate you. So if, if, you, if you water down the Gospel, they won't hate you. If you just say, you know, it's just about love, they're not going to hate you. But if you tell them it's about sin and judgment, they're going to hate you. If you tell them that there's one way to heaven, and it's Jesus Christ who died for your sins, okay, because you couldn't do a thing about it, okay. those who are hostile to Christ are going to be hostile to you as the messenger. If they hated the master, they'll hate the slave. All right, so these two verses, verses 18 and 19, what they do is they set the general principle. And I say it that way because in our application remember we've talked about this a, a little bit that jesus is talking to disciples those who were his students when he was on earth they were still under the mosaic law now jesus dies he's raised from the dead ascends into heaven he's in glory he sends down the spirit and then there's a whole new ball game it's called the church age we are we are not disciples we are saints and it's so much better we are actually in Christ, right? We are, we are actually members of the body of Christ. We have the spirit in our hearts, okay? So, so some of the particulars about what Jesus would say to his disciples that night don't apply. But the general principle does because the world is still the world and Christ is still Christ and never the twain shall meet. That's just as true for us as it was for the disciples that night. What's the general principle? The world hates Christ. General principle. Always has. You know, God created Adam and the woman in his own image and likeness. And the snake came along, hated all of that, wanted to ruin it, and for a while did. And ever since then, whether it's Cain, or whether it's the ites that were attacking Israel, you know, the Amalekites and the Jebusites and the no matter who it is. Okay, from then forward, the world hates Christ. Always has. Always will. Wor- that's, why, that's why one day God's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. That's one day that every knee shall bow and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father and get rid of all of that. You, people ask, well, you know, isn't it unfair that God will take believers and bring them to heaven but not unbelievers? And I would simply say to them, well, you know, if, if you want to be surrounded by hate for all of eternity, then go argue with God about that. I don't. Right? I don't want that. He doesn't want that either. He wants everybody to change from, from their hatred and enemy of him to their children. But when people say no to all of that, As he said, they're remaining in their sins. They can't be in heaven forever if they're remaining in their sins and are hateful and hostile to everything about God and Jesus Christ. No, they can't. The world hates Christ. Christ has called us out of the world. As a matter of fact, the Greek word for church, ekklesia, means, you know, literally, the called out ones. That's who we are. He chose us to bear fruit, that our fruit would remain, And he chose us out of the world. And there's a reason for that. Because there's nothing good in the world for us. There's only hatred and destruction and temptation. And there's a particular tool that Satan uses to try to get the world into us. But because Jesus chose us out of the world, the world hates us too. This is the general principle. Simple. The world hates Christ. Because he chose us out of the world, the world hates us too. If we were of the world, they would love its own. They would, you know. Um, when, when you have false teachers, okay, and, they, and they, get a, they get a lot of money in a big congregation, all of a sudden the world's paying all kinds of attention to them. Wow, look at that. 5,000 people. Look at all that money. The world loves that. If, so if you, were, if, the, if you were of the world, they would love you. They love its own. Now, notice I didn't say the prostitute or the drug addict, did I? Who did I talk about? Religious Religious leaders who are unbelievers. The the world loves that. The the world loves to tee up anything that will will go against the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even if they're talking Jesus, even if they say they're a church, but when they don't preach the gospel and they preach something else that's another gospel, the world eats that up eats it up. They get all kinds of money, they get all kinds of fame, they get on television, they get to meet the president. Okay? And I'm not I'm not talking about anybody individually right now. I'm talking about the principle. But you know who I mean in general, okay? World, it's, the world hates us because we're not in the world. That principle applies to us every bit as much as it applied to the disciples of the Lord that evening. But after the general principle, then Jesus gets down to brass tacks. He gets specific. He gets, this is really the people I need to warn you about. He talks about a particular kind of unbeliever, a particular kind of person in the world. And as we continue to read this passage, it will become evident who these people are. I've already taken some pains this morning to walk through Verses 18 to 25, so that you would already see who these kind of people are. John fifteen twenty. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Now, he's talking to the disciples that evening. And he's, he's telling them in particular that when you, when, 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 I, when you go out, when I send you out next time, okay, the people that persecuted me will persecute you. Now, if you think about it, as immediately after Pentecost, when, when Peter and the other apostles then came and started to preach and work miracles among the people, who persecuted them? Was it the drunk? Was it the prostitute? No, it was religious leaders. It was the chief priests. And Pharisees, just like they went after Jesus, they went after him, them. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, now there were people who kept the word of Christ, right? They did. So that those people will also keep yours. The disciples preaching, they will listen to that, believe it, follow it. So again, who persecuted Jesus during his public ministry? It wasn't the common everyday Jewish person. It wasn't the Gentiles. It wasn't all of the Jews. It was a particular category at that time of Jewish people. And if you've been following our study of the Gospel of John, if you'd follow along this morning, you definitely know who this category of people are. But I'd like to just give you some scriptures to bring it to to, uh, as a reminder so that you realize it's not just my opinion here. Look at Luke chapter 19, verse 47. Luke 19, verse 47. Who was it that tried to to destroy Jesus? Who was it that persecuted him? Who was it that overtly hated him? Luke 19, 47. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him. Who was trying to destroy him? The chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people. Religious leaders. Look at John chapter 7, verse 32. John chapter 7, verse 32. the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about Christ and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. They wanted to destroy him, the chief priests. They wanted to, they want officers to seize him and arrest him so they could put him to death. Who? Who persecuted Jesus? Exactly. The chief priests and the Pharisees, the religious leaders. See, there's the particular, in the time of Jesus, the religious leaders were the chief priests and the Pharisees. But the general principle is religious leaders. Boy, you probably, many people I know you who, who have, um, you know, been under the teaching for a while, don't, aren't shocked by that. But I guarantee you, if somebody came in this morning and they were looking for a nice little church, and they heard a pastor say that religious leaders persecuted Christ, and they're the worst subset of unbelievers. Boy, that would shock them. That would be a shocking statement for them to hear. But it's true. Don't believe me. Believe the scriptures. The chief priests and scribes, chief priests and Pharisees persecuted Jesus. So my question is, when Jesus talks about the world this morning, who does he mean? Religious leaders, all right? That's what he's talking about this morning. So he says you'll be hated by the world, but he's basically saying, and chief and foremost, you'll be really hated by religious people. When you let that percolate. By the way, we're about to talk about religion here at the end this morning. So you can see how you can, how do you know, right? How do you know? How do you discern, right? There's a lot of people that are nice. You know, I walk to my library and almost every time there's a display right before I come in and there's people that say, you know, wow, Jesus is great and this and all of that, you know. Unfortunately, okay, it's also people that think Jesus isn't God. Right? So, you know, they look nice. How do I know? How do I discern who I should look out for? By the way, I'm talking about Jehovah's Witnesses in case you haven't figured that out. They're, you know, they're in a lot of places. Okay. They look nice. They sound attractive. They look like they're, they've cleaned up their act. you know. But when you, if you have discernment and you just peek under the curtain a little bit, you'll understand that they're actually hostile to everything about Jesus Christ, the real Jesus. They have another one, for example. So when Jesus is talking about the world in our passage, he's talking specifically about religious leaders. In his time, it was the chief priests and the Pharisees. In our time, it's a lot of other groups, a lot of them, okay. As a matter of fact, we t- remember I talked about the principalities and the powers of darkness in the air and all that. I said they have a tool, right? Guess what Satan's ace Trump is? No, the ace. maybe that's the queen. religion, yeah. Religion is the ace trump of Satan. And in the time remaining, I want to teach you a few things about what I mean, what the Bible means by religion and why I would say the things I said said about it. And we'll say some more. Quite simply, religion is the enemy of Christ and the gospel. I want to boil it all down. Religion is the enemy of Christ and the enemy of the gospel. Paul put it this way. they're, They're teaching another Jesus, another gospel, Another spirit, okay. That's religion. Another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit, another one. Paul said it really straight when he was talking about the people that wanted to put Christians under the law. All right? He says they, he, he said they should be cursed. That's a pretty strong language, isn't it? Yeah, they, they are to be a curse if anyone preaches another gospel other than the one. That Paul preached, they are to be cursed. He says if it was an angel, they had to be cursed. If it was Paul coming back again on his word, he should be cursed. That's about as strong language as you can get. And it was religious people. People that wanted to put Christians under a false religion. You know? Okay, so what is religion? Well, you know, I want you to think back to the very beginning of the Bible. Third chapter. Adam sinned. Man fell, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God now. When Adam sinned, we sinned, right? There's none righteous. That's the starting point. I want you to think about this. Here we are. We have a, a whole race of people, the human race. They are all dead in their trespasses and sins. They've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous among them. So religion comes along. And says, We got a solution to all that. You know what their solution is? Man must make himself holy and perfect again. Fell, dead in sins, not righteous. Man has to come back and do things to make himself holy to make himself perfect. If you notice, one of the ways you can see religion at work is when they say this, when they say you can become holy and we're going to give you the things you have to do in order to reach that place called perfection again, holiness again. You know, the Mormons say that you, someday we will be just like gods, right? That's a to- Of course, that's a total lie. We'll never be God. Satan wanted to be God though, didn't he, right? So you can by your own deeds and own works. Make yourself holy and perfect. You need to be saved and you need to save yourself. In a nutshell, that's religion. Religion says that no matter how it puts it, okay, man has to do a set of religious things in order to become holy again, become perfect, become righteous. Maybe they, call, maybe they talk nirvana Right, you've heard Nirvana. That's one religious word for what they tell you you can get to. Maybe you've heard about sainthood, right? Now we're all saints, but I'm talking about sainthood in a particular religion that has billions of people in it, right? Only a few, by the way. Only a few, you know. Right? The leader of that religion has canonized. You know, a handful. They're the they're the best. They're the ones that actually reached. You know, they're definitely in heaven. Why? Because of all the stuff they did. All this stuff they did. Now, what they did could have been fine. It was. I mean, look, I'm going to tell you, right, uh, Mother Teresa did incredible things. Incredible things. But if she didn't believe in Christ, all of that stuff was religion. No, no, no merit at all. Did not make her righteous one bit. Shocking, isn't it? True. So that's Religion. Man has to make himself holy, make himself perfect. He needs to save himself. That's basically religion in a nutshell. What about Christ? Remember, I said, religion is the enemy of Christ, the enemy of the gospel. Well, what's the gospel? Christ comes on the scene and he says, man cannot do that. There is no way that man can make himself holy. He cannot work his way back. He cannot save himself. He cannot do anything. He's completely unable to do that, right? In Ephesians two, the unbelievers described as being dead, dead in his trespasses and sins, can do nothing about it. But God. See, anytime you see that "but God," now you're going to see the the the, the real solution to sin and death, right? God had mercy on us. God loved us. But in and of ourselves, man is absolutely helpless and hopeless. If you're trying to earn your own salvation, there's no hope for you. If you're trying to do a certain group of practices, I don't care whether it's fasting or going out into the desert to find yourself or doing Penance or sacraments or doing a five, five pillars, whatever it is. There's all kinds of religions in the world. Okay? And all of them will tell you the same thing. You just do what we tell you and you can reach holiness, perfection. You can be saved. You can be one of the special ones. You can reach nirvana. But you can't. It's a lie. So what's the only hope now of mankind? Can't save himself, so God has to save him. By the way, that's called the grace of God. There's nothing good about us. We have no merits before God at all. We are incapable of doing anything to make ourselves righteous or pure or holy. And God said, but I love them. I love them. And the thing about it is, is, while I love them, I recognize that they're my enemies. I recognize that they're dead in sin. And so I've got to also be just I have to remain holy and I have to remain righteous and I have to save these people. How am I going to do it? They're not going to do anything to, to, to meet my standard of holiness, of righteousness. And, and, and if something doesn't happen, I, God says I would actually be unjust to actually declare somebody righteous who is my enemy. But for one thing, for one thing, God said, I'm the one that has to act, and he did. Now, what did he do? Well, you know. He sent his one and only son. God had to act. He did. He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for the sin of the world. All of it. It is finished. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, all of our sins were poured into his body. He became sin for us. The wrath of God was upon Christ that day, not because of him, he's perfect, but because of the sin that he bore, right? God the Father condemned sin, all of it, in the flesh, in the body of Christ on the cross. That was his answer. He dealt with it, but he knew that there was nothing that any man could do about it. Therefore, he sent his son to do everything about it. That's Christianity. That's biblical Christianity. That's how Christ thinks. Again, I want you to see the opposites here. It's totally opposite. You either think that man has the ability to save himself through his own works and efforts and whatever, or you think that's impossible and only God can save you. And you can't do a thing. Just sit, watch, stand by. See what God has done. Hear the message that God has declared about his son, that he is... is, the one who is our Savior. He died for our sins. He was raised from the dead. You listen to that and you say, I can't do anything about it myself. I get that. But what I can do is just hear and believe God. Take him at his word. That's all. That's all, that's all that we can do and that's all that he expects us to do. It's not even do. It's like we listen and just recognize, yeah, that's true. That's all it is. That's what faith is. To recognize what God said is true and true for me. You know, true for me. True in general. He died for, died for sinners. I'm a sinner. He died for me. Pretty simple. Now, of course, given that, you have to understand that there's no other way to be saved. There is no salvation in anyone else. Besides Jesus Christ, no one comes to the Father but through him. Not, not through the saints, not through the five pillars, not through martyrdom, not through meditation, through Christ. Acts chapter 4, verse 10. I hope you're seeing a big red line between religion and Christ this morning. Cuz on the side of Christ we are loved. On the other side of that red line we're hated. And I'm no longer talking about the world in general. I'm talking about religion. I'm talking about religion. Acts chapter 4 verse 10. Let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, By this name, this man stands here before you in good health. The apostles can miraculously heal somebody. Now, they're still, of course, preaching and evangelizing the Jewish people only at this time. That's why he says, all the people of Israel that you crucified, even though we all did because it's all our sins, God raised him from the dead. There's the gospel. He's crucified, was buried, and God raised him from the dead. Verse 11, he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And notice verse 12. This is what I'm getting at. And there is salvation and no one else. The exclusivity of Christ. No one else. No one else. No religion. Not the Virgin Mary. Not Muhammad. Nobody else but Jesus Christ. And all, all man does is simply listen to the good news about what God has done in Christ to save him. All we can do, all we can do, man can only do one thing, and that is believe in Christ, the only Savior. Because he did all the work for the mankind. He did all the work for mankind. Look at Ephesians as we close. Look at Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. And I'm not going to get to everything today. Because something happens between 20 of 11 and 11 o'clock. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like if time were sand in my pocket. All of a sudden at 20 of it, there's a big hole in my pocket and it all drains away. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. Here's the difference between religion and Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Religion says only of yourself. You got to do it. Christ says you've been saved by grace through faith, not of yourself. It is a pure gift of God, gift of God. That's the one thing that you won't find in religion. Is God giving gifts to anybody? Is God being gracious completely? not as a result of works. Say that with me. Not as a result of work. If you want to understand religion, understand verse 9. If they're telling you that something is a result of works, in terms of salvation, in terms of perfection, in terms of... right, re- That's religion. If it's by faith, through grace, through faith, and it's a gift of God, that's Christianity. If you are convinced... Okay? See, that's why religious, religion is evil, by the way. I'll just get a couple more of these points. Religion is evil. It rejects the gospel, promotes salvation by works. And if this morning you are convinced that you have to do something to be saved, you're not a Christian. You're religious. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for opening our eyes to the bright red line between the world and Christ. Between, between the hatred of the world and the love of Christ. Helping, help us, Father, to realize the implications of how Jesus pointed to the religious leaders and what that means for us. Help us also, Father, to save people out of the fire by, by telling them the truth, that there's nothing that they can do to save themselves. Nothing. But, all, but they have to also realize that God did it for them in his son. And all they have to do is simply believe the good news that Jesus Christ died for their sins, was raised from the dead. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Thank you, Father. Please give us the capacity now as we leave today to, to follow that red bright red line and to make those discernments and to be bold in preaching the truth. Help us to have more and more confidence that it is the truth, regardless of what the world wants to say. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bible study on Thursday, 630. We had a Q&A last week. Okay, a lot of people want another week. I'll see. But um, you can send an email. Here's the thing. I want to have questions ahead of time. So if I get questions ahead of time, I'm a lot more likely to have another Q&A. There's right, some motivation. Just send an email to me at pastor.lbible.org. I think somewhere in in here I have that. I I think I buried it, though. I shouldn't have buried it. Play the music. There it is. Okay? Got questions about what we've been learning lately about the Gospel of John or the prophet Isaiah? Send me an email. Okay? When I think we've got questions enough, we'll have another Q&A. If that's this week, we'll have another Q&A this week. All right? So there you have it. All right, remember our giving policy here? We don't put any pressure. That's religion, by the way. See? Religion tries to pressure you. One of the actions that they want you to take and that they tell you you have to take to earn God's favor is giving. That's what they say. That's what tithing is all about. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta. No, you don't gotta. You wanna. That's grace. Grace says, I I freely can do this now and I wanna do it because I understand what God has done for me. I understand the ways he's blessing me every day and every week and every year. And I'm going to freely give. That's the principle. That's why you, we're not going to pressure you. We're not going to have a fun drive for church. We might, we might have one for an evangelist because the Bible does call us to do that, but not for ourselves, okay? It's, a, it's when, when, the, when in your heart you realize you re- genuinely want other people to hear the truth and you realize that we're preaching the truth, right? And you want to support that, okay? That's, that's the only motivation you ought to have. Not guilt, not fear, not I wonder who's looking at me, not gee, I wonder if somebody else gave more than I did. Doesn't matter, okay? Just as the Lord leads. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for all that's going on today. We ask now as we leave to have the Spirit put us in the right direction and, and, and bring to mind the things that we have learned when, we, when it's time for us to act accordingly, not by works, but by grace. We ask this in Christ's name, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. With that, you're dismissed.